<laughs> um, if you ever heard me speak, you know that in my house, we do not wear orange. That's a rule. Um, and it's not because of Clemson. It's because we are uh, bulldogs and we do not like Florida, Tennessee, or Auburn. And uh, my dad used to say the N in Auburn stood for knowledge. And uh, so we just, we don't wear orange in my house. And my son, who's 13, has, uh, some of y'all are just getting the knowledge joke. Um, my son, who is 13, uh, almost refuses to consider Clemson as an option because he will not wear the color orange. And I'm like, man, I will change my whole wardrobe to orange if you go to Clemson. I'm good with that. Uh, I will support my kids wherever they go uh, to school. Um, maybe not USC, but if it's anywhere else, I'm good with that. But um, at the end of the day, what I hope my son gets from me is not my love for the Bulldogs. What I hope my son gets from me is my love for Jesus. Uh, what I hope he follows in my life is not my love for a sport, but my, my love for the Savior. And we're in this series, we're calling Full House, Fun Bumper this morning. And uh, we're really talking today about leading your children. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, that would be awesome. Um, and as you do that, just as a reminder, uh, sometimes the things that get caught by our kids from us are not the things that really matter in life. And so I'm excited to be able to share that with you today. Uh, I will say, as you turn there too, I'm going to give you permission to pull out your phone and text Dallas. If you haven't already told him, he graduated with his Master's of Divinity. And so if you haven't uh, told him, congrats, go ahead and do that because he's probably right now preaching as well downtown. And so that would be really great. Then I would know I have a better sermon than him because he'd be distracted the whole time. Uh, so go ahead and text him or go to Facebook and send them uh, congrats. I think that would be um, a really, really cool thing to do. Last week, Deuteronomy chapter six, we talked about what this was. We talked about uh, God saying the, the Lord, our God is one and that we should love the Lord with all our heart, soul and mind. So our motivation in talking about what we're about to talk about today really has to be kept in mind with the context of the fact that our motivation is loving God. Our motivation is our absolute love and desire to follow him with our whole life is going to lead us into what we're talking about today. And this was a way of life for Jews uh, who did that. This was um, a way that they lived as a constant reminder of who God was. Um, let me just uh, pause for a second and say, this is a message that's for the church. It's for the people of God. It's, it's for uh, believers. It's, it's not necessarily just for parents. So if you're in the room and uh, you're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't have any kids, right? Or maybe you're like, my kids are out of my house. Brandon was like, I'm going to take some notes and keep this in my back pocket for a few years. But like, even if you're in uh, a stage of life where kids are not in your home, this message is still for you because you can stand in the gap for the next generation. Um, I know this is uh, a reality because I've seen it and experienced it, but so many churches, even in our area, don't have kids programs. They don't have student programs because they don't have kids. They don't have students. Because at some point, number of years ago, they stopped standing in the gap for the next generation. They started valuing their own priorities or their own preferences. They started getting to a point where they said, well, they're going to have to come to us and do it the way that we want them to do it, right? Instead of trying to care enough about them uh, to reach them. And now those churches are closing their doors often. Many of them are uh, simply because they didn't do what it took to stand in the gap. So this is not just for people who have kids living in their homes. This is for all of us as believers to say, I'm going to stand in the gap 
for the next generation. I'm going to be willing to care that this next generation would follow Jesus. And to be quite honest with you, I think and I want in my generation in this time to be able to see the upstate change for the kingdom of God, to see uh, South Carolina, the world impacted by this generation as they get a hold of this passion and love that God has for us. And he gets a hold of our heart. I'm hoping that can just transfer on, that we can continue to pour that on. I'm, I'm speaking as a guy who's been in student ministry as well for 20 years, and now here as a family pastor at our church. But understand my heart. It's because I care deeply about what God is commanding us to do. And God is commanding us to stand in the gap. My mentor, a guy named Steve Wood, was the kind of guy that uh, always had his front door open. He had the storm, storm door there, glass storm door. And when you rode by, it just looked like he was inviting you into his living room. And I often did that. I would stop in and go sit in his living room and hang out with him for a couple hours. And I think about some, if somebody did that to me now, like if they just regularly stopped by, I'd be like, turn off the lights, like close the blinds, you know, let's, let's answer the ring and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm out to dinner. Um, but uh, like he cared and constantly let me into his home, invited me into his life. He cared about me in large part, uh, reason why I'm here. I think of some others that I went to a camp when I first uh, uh, went to my new, the church where I uh, found Jesus. And um, I went to this camp. I didn't fit in with anybody else in the youth group. Uh, most of them were like jocks, and I was uh, the trombone player in band, right? And so I just felt like an outsider. I uh, didn't really fit. And so I just kind of was wandering by myself as a loner. Uh, and this lady, Miss Patty, another lady, Miss Cindy, really cared about me, reached out and just made me feel welcome and loved. And so um, I left that camp not feeling like these people don't care about me. I left that camp going, these people love me. And they showed the love of Christ, even when my peers who, let's be fair, like what teenager really has life figured out? Um, my peers weren't really doing a great job at that. And so at the end of the day, you and I can really stand in the gap. So this message is for all of us, no matter what part of life that you're in, no matter what stage you're in, this is something all of us can really adopt. The Shema is what this uh, Deuteronomy 6 is often known as. It's part of the Jewish prayer book. Um, I think Dallas uh, may have shared that last week. Something that's often recited, uh, maybe even twice a day by most uh, Jews. It's a part of uh, who they are. It's a, it's a huge part of their life. And um, we're going to read a little bit about that, but we're going to start in verses, uh, we're going to read 7 through 9 of Deuteronomy 6. Uh, so let me, let me read those. It says, again, coming off of, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your might. And these words I command you shall be on your heart, he says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. But here's the bottom line for this morning, that parents hold the primary responsibility for training their children in the ways of God. Parents hold the primary responsibility in training their children in the ways of God. I think it's easy for us to think that we should maybe outsource this part of our life, okay? Because we do that. Like, if my daughter wants to do gymnastics, she's not going to learn that from me, right? You can tell by looking at me, like, I'm not a gymnast. And so I'm going to take her to somebody who knows that, and I'm going to be like, hey, teacher, here's a check, right? Like, teacher about gymnastics. If, if we want uh, to know about math, she also doesn't come to me because... At some point, uh, when God called me into ministry, I was 17 years old, and I was like, I don't need math anymore, <laughs> you know? Um, you don't need a lot of math for, for ministry, and um, at least not complex math, you know? Like, I got the basic stuff. 
But when I got to college, I just tested out of it. So I literally never even took math in college. I was like, I'm just done with that. Like, I'm going to take a test and be done with it. Um, so if my daughter or son come to me with math questions, I'm like, you may have not asked the right person. Let's get somebody. Your grandfather was a banker. Let's get him in here. Bankers know math uh, or they don't get, keep their jobs. So let's get that guy in here, right? Um, and so we tend to think, like, let's outsource this spirituality thing. I'm going to bring them to church, and they're going to teach them the, the expertise, the experts you know, Brandon's going to be the one, and, and our small group leader, our connect group leaders here are going to be the ones that are going to teach them about Jesus, and then when they come home, they're going to be perfect. And what we have to realize is that we actually hold that primary responsibility for training our children up in the ways of God. That is a parent's responsibility. The parent is the primary disciple maker in their home. In this scripture, uh, he's, not, he's not telling the church, he's not saying as a people, he's saying to you as the people of God, raise your kids in this way. So that is something that we should carry ourselves. Now let me just say this. You can't lead somebody further than you've already been. You can't lead your children if you yourself are not pursuing Jesus. You can't help your, your children love the Lord if you yourself don't have a love for Him as well. I think a lot of the generation uh, that comes behind us sees us as hypocrites, because they hear us say one thing and they see us at church acting one way, but then if they really see us later in the day or later in the week, it's a whole different story. That's why like PKs or pastor's kids get a bad rap, right? Because they're often troublemakers and uh, crazy. And I think a lot of times that's the, the case for that is because they see one person on stage, but then they see a whole different person when they get off stage. And so they think, well, why would I want that kind of faith? But I'm not saying that because I may have crazy kids. I don't want y'all to think that's true of me. Uh, but I think that is often the case. And uh, I was just thinking this morning how encouraging it is. I know of four of our uh, ministers on staff that are preachers or pastors' kids themselves. And one of them's dad is a pastor and grandfather is a pastor. So um, such an encouraging, I think, testimony uh, to, to those um, leaders as to have their children continue in ministry. But man, um, that's often true of us, that our own children see our hypocrisy. So let me just say for a second, we here in church are not saying in any way that we're better or morally superior to the world around us, right? We are all wicked. In our own hearts, you and I are wicked people. We are sinful people. The difference that may separate us as believers with the world around us is that we're forgiven, it's the, real, the realization that Jesus came and gave his life up on the cross for us so that we can have a relationship with God. It's not that we are better. It's not that, that we are morally superior or that we're smarter in some way. It's that we're forgiven, that we have surrendered our life uh, to, to what God has done for us on the cross. So the hypocrisy comes in if we start to project some image as if we are better people when really at our heart we are wicked people. And we constantly need to be reminded that every day we wake up, I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, pursuing the Lord, giving him my whole heart every day. And that's why in Deuteronomy 6, that's why he starts with that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. It's not something you do in a moment where you're like, all right, I'm going to do that. And now the rest of my life is, is going to be that way. It's a daily, almost every second choice in your heart that you have to do. We have to continue to follow the Lord in everything that we do in our kids that come behind us, the next generation, I don't want them to see me as a hypocrite. I don't want them to see me as somebody who preaches one thing and lives another one. As leaders, we have to realize that our emotional, spiritual, relational, physical well-being determines the force and impact of our leadership. 
And so let me just kind of, uh, with this question, ask this question. Do you have a plan for the spiritual development of, your, of yourself and your family? Do you have a plan for that? Uh, this is why I think this question is important, because we have financial planners, right? We have people that tell you, this is how much you have to save to retire. We have people that will help in different areas of our life and, uh, and give us the planning. You know, if you're going to go uh, to... to play the state tournament, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. We have uh, people who will help us do certain workouts so we can reach certain levels and, you know, even uh, squat 330 pounds or whatever, like, uh, like my boy Lincoln over here. Like, at the end of the day, like, we have to build ourselves up to those things and we create a plan. And yet a lot of us don't create a spiritual plan. We don't sit down and say, here's how I want to make sure, ensure that I'm growing spiritually and that I'm leading my home and helping them grow spiritually as well. So the most important thing we can do is lead our family to have a genuine relationship with the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. I think sometimes we even forget that. My son is a little me, if you've met him. Uh, sometimes uh, he'll run by and people will kind of do a double take and be like, that's your son, right? And I'm like, yes, it is. He's a little version of me. And He's just got blonde hair. And uh, so I'm like, you know, just enjoy it while you can, because in a couple years, like, life's going to get tough for you, you know, um, unless, unless some things change. But uh, your dad's bald, your mom's dad's bald, like, you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I, my son, when sometimes I've had to tell him, if, if I'm being extra hard on you, or if you feel like I'm extra hard on you, it's because I see the things in your life that I know I'm still battling. And you pick those up for me because you and I are wired identically, and I'm trying to help you. I'm, I'm trying to help you get out of that, right? I'm trying to help you do that. And we have to just be reminded sometimes to love and to show grace. We have to be reminded sometimes to say, okay, I'm going to help you where you are. This may be a level of encouragement for you, but George Barna reports that only one out of five parents of young children believe they're doing a good job at training their, their children morally and spiritually. Only one out of five. Now, why that's encouraging, I feel like that number may even be higher, right? Because I'm definitely in the four out of five category. I'm not coming this morning as uh, an expert parent being like, hey, here's what you can do and you can be an expert parent like me. I'm coming to you as a guy who did not put gas in a Walmart bag this week. That's, that's where I'm at, okay? Um, that's where I'm at in life. And so I'm coming to you saying, let's look at what scripture has to say. And it's encouraging sometimes to know, you know what, I'm in good company, now, majority of this room doesn't feel like they have it figured out. The majority of this room is not like, hey, I've got this down. Everybody should listen to me. In fact, uh, my wife, I've seen her angry twice. We've been married 18 years this year. She's unique. We are complete opposites in almost every single way. Um, I'm OCD, and she's real laid back, and that's how, that's how I'm going to describe that. And so uh, we're, we're very different people. And when she was born, she's the oldest child and her parents uh, really felt like they could in instruct everybody else on how to raise children. <laughs> they were like, hey, listen, uh, we got the best kid, so this is how you need to parent. And then her younger sister was born, and they were like, all right, forget what we told you earlier. We know nothing, right? And so that's kind of how it goes sometimes with parenting. Sometimes you feel like, I've got this thing figured out, and you wake up the next day, and you're like, where did that come from? All right, now I don't have things figured out. And so whether you feel like you're doing uh, the best job or whether you don't, you're in good company, because I think most of us in here uh, wish that we could have more figured out than we do. 
So uh, reading here in verse 7, let me start with this first point. As primary disciple makers, parents should be, and the first point is diligent. You shall teach them diligently to your children, it says. The phrase teach diligently means to sharpen or teach incisively. It's the idea of going over and over until the knife is razor sharp. I love that picture. The diligence is sharpening that knife over and over, not stopping until it's sharp. This quote from Gary Oliver, who wrote a book called Raising Kids to Love Jesus, he said, our primary call isn't to be good parents. Our primary call is to model a vibrant and vital love relationship with the living God. Sometimes we feel like, man, I just got to be a good parent, when really we've got to be reminded, man, I just got to have a love for Jesus. Above anything else, my passion for God has to reign over anything. Our homes are meant to reflect Jesus. And man, what a privilege it is, isn't it? What a privilege it is to be able to to have people look at you with that leadership. Parenting is like leadership by default. And we need to love him with everything and bring glory to him. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that everything, whether we eat or drink, we bring glory to the Lord. That should be the heart of every single one of us. That for our kids and for our families, they would see our love for him. We should be intentional. This, this idea of diligence is being intentional. Now, um, I am not a CrossFitter uh, because I'm not in any cults. That's like a rule of mine to not join a cult. Um, and if I join CrossFit, which I won't, uh, I would not call it a cult uh, because those would be friends or whatever. But um, I'm not in CrossFit. And, uh, but you don't go to CrossFit and on day one, they're like, all right, let's do the Murph, right? Like, and if you did, you showed up on the wrong day, okay? Because it's pretty miserable, and I've seen, uh, I see pictures of people doing CrossFit online, and I'm like, how, how do people join CrossFit after they've seen pictures of people doing CrossFit? Like, that seems terrible. I, mean, I feel like part of doing CrossFit is uh, having to puke in bushes. Like, I feel like that's, um, this is like the only time I've used the word puke ever on stage for uh, today, just for you guys. But like, I feel like that's a part of, uh, of what it means. But you don't show up on day one and you're able just to like do everything, right? You, don't, you just can't do that. It takes time and intentionality. It takes that daily deal. You can't even go in for once a week. You've got to go in more often than that. You've got to be able to build up the diligence to do that, right? Um, this body didn't happen overnight, right? It took a lot of cheesecake to get to this point. Um, it takes diligence to get to that point in life. And, and for us, we have to say, I want to have the level of intentionality in raising my kids that they're going to know Jesus because I've taken the time to be intentional about it. Now, this is true in other things in our life because I, one thing I do love is I love movies. And when my son was born, he's 13 now, I remember thinking, how long do I have to wait to show him Star Wars? That was my thought, right? Because I was like, at the end of the day, if you show it too early and it's too much for him, he'll end up not liking it and that would break my heart, Right. Um, but like, I want to see it with him as soon as possible. So when, when is that age? Okay. It was probably, I probably did it sooner than I should have, but he's still, he's all in. Um, even to the point where I thought through, uh, what order we should watch him in. Cause like arguably the prequels are not that good, especially, uh, Jar Jar Binks. And so, um, there's the machete method in case you care where you start with four and you go to five and then you go back to two and three and watch six, just avoid all one altogether. I thought this through how we were going to actually watch 
Star Wars and do it the right way with my children, okay? Indiana Jones, that's another one. There's some scary moments in Indiana Jones, but I'm like, this is required viewing to be an American, and I want them to be an American, okay? And so uh, Back to the Future, all those things were like, how can I plan that out? It was intentional in how I raised my own children to now uh, Shay uh, has those same loves that I do, right? He loves to watch um, those movies, and Marvel movies have now become our thing together, right? So at the end of the day, like, we're intentional about other things in our lives. Oftentimes, we're not intentional spiritually, but he's reminding us that we have to be. And he continues on in verse 7, he says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, And what he's saying here is we've got to be consistent. That's the second thing. We've got to be consistent. What he's saying in these verses is like when you're going about your day, when you're doing normal things, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, when you're riding to soccer practice, whatever it is, Jesus should be such a part of your life that it's natural conversation for you to talk about Jesus with your family. Now, you should be intentional. I've got intentional times with, uh, with my son on the way to school every day we do a devotion. When I take a certain turn, it's instinct for him just to grab that devotional out of my car door. It's still in my truck right now. He'll pull that, uh, that devotional out. We'll do it together and pray together every morning. That's an intentional part of something we do. But this is very true. We're consistent. We're talking about our faith. Not just, uh, we're not just praying before dinner. We're praying at other times. We're talking about how Jesus is impacting our life at different times of the day, or maybe sitting out here watching soccer out in the front where my daughter scored the first goal of the season for her team. So just not bragging. Um, but like we, we're consistent, right? We're, we're, we're trying. Now I mess up all the time, but we're, we're trying to be consistent about the way that we live is not hypocritical. This is really the number one priority in my life is loving Jesus. So just four quick little sub points to give you here is give them a godly example. Lead them to the gospel. Show them the meaning of grace and forgiveness. This is sometimes more easier said than done because showing grace is hard, right? Receiving grace can also be hard because you're like, I don't really deserve this. But showing grace is hard because you're like, man, I want to punish you so bad. You know what I'm saying? Um, Parents have been there. Like, you do not deserve this. But I've had to remind my kids, you're getting grace and I want you to know why. And this is what God's done for us. I'm going to go out of my way. Maybe you even as a parent find a specific teaching moment when your kid really messes up where you can say, here's where you're going to learn about grace. You just messed up big time. Now we're going to Dollywood or whatever. I was going to say Disney, but that's, a, that's pretty big. Maybe you find a way to show grace to somebody so that they can learn what grace is. We don't teach that enough to our own children. We live in this uh, world where everything is so uh, based on rules. And if you're good, you're in my graces. And if you're not, then you're not. When, when that's not how God loves us, right? We've got to lead with a godly example and lead them to the gospel. And this last thing, create memorable, repeatable moments of pursuing God together. This is not my words. I don't even remember where I read it or heard it, but I love how it's phrased. Create memorable, repeatable moments of pursuing God together. It doesn't matter what it is. I went to seminary, and there were guys at my seminary that, um, you know, felt like if you didn't sit down and do a family devotion every night, then you were a sinner, right? And I just, in my head, I would just imagine like, you know, somebody pulls out a guitar and the kids are surrounding. They're like, all right, kids, like it's time for us to sing Lord, lift your name on high. Right. And then you sing that. And then, um, and then maybe like mom or dad pulls out the Bible, like here's our devotion for today. Um, maybe dad's wearing a tie. I don't know. And this, this, this is what it feels like in my head. Right. And the kids are listening diligently. Right. They're not 
on any devices at all, and um, there's no fighting happening. It's just they're all tuned in, and um, things are going really well for them, right? And in my, that does not work in my house, okay? It doesn't work in my family. And so I think if we marry ourselves to a model, then we start to feel like failures at that. And what we should be doing is saying, let's create memorable, repeatable moments of pursuing God together. Maybe your schedules don't line up as parents. Maybe you're just like, uh, you know, hey, now it's your shift. Now I got to go to work, right? Like, and you're just kind of trade, but find things you can do together that as a family help pursue God together. Find things you can do together that are going to allow you to, to continue to place God first in your life. And let me just add this as a side note, because I know we have teenagers and kids in the room. It's really hard as a parent to say, you know, for the past 13 years, I have not done this right in our house, um, but we're going to do something different. It's, it's a humbling thing. It really is. And I pray that all of us would have the ability to do that. Um, but sometimes it's, it's hard. There's a lot of pride in our lives. Students and kids, y'all can lead. Y'all can lead the way. You can look at your parents and say, I want us to pray together more often. Maybe we can study the word together more often. Maybe we can open up a version. I don't know if you ever used version, and you can, you can go through devotions, Bible reading together um, and share comments on there. You don't have to be in the same room, but maybe you could do that together somehow. Find something that's repeatable. Find something that's memorable that you as a family can pursue God together and do it with, in your way. It doesn't have to be my way. It doesn't have to be your neighbor's way. Find what works for you and your family. And we've got to drop the guilt. We've got to be willing to say, you know what? This is, there's no guarantee in this scripture that says, if you do this, your child will follow Jesus. We've got to drop that guilt by the side. What it does say is for us to be faithful in what God's called us to do, and then we've got to leave the results up to him. And we live as parents with a lot of guilt. We live sometimes feeling like, man, maybe I haven't done my job. Maybe I've failed as a dad or as a mom because my kid is not living up. They're not even respectful to other people sometimes or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, we've got to drop that. We've got to say, I am doing what God's called me to do. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Maybe I'm not the best at it. Maybe I'm doing okay at it. But at the end of the day, I'm leaving the results up to him. I will be intentional and I will be consistent. Those are two things for sure. The last thing is being focused. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They literally would take uh, Deuteronomy 6, print it out and put it uh, in a metal box and put it on the doorposts of their houses as a constant reminder. Every time they'd open that door, they would see that the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. They knew that that scroll was in there. In fact, even Orthodox Jews would wear them on their wrists and they would wear them on their foreheads um, and still, still do to this day because they took this literally. It will be a, such a part of my life that it's going to be ever present in the way that I live. We've got to be focused. This is going to be a hard word to hear, but hear me and hear my heart. Ten years from now, there's a very, very, very small chance that your kid will be playing that sport ten years from now. Doesn't matter if your daughter scored the first goal of the season, whatever the case is, 10 years from now, very small chance that they're going to play that sport. Very small. 10 years from now, let me ask this question Are they going to be following Jesus? If your answer is, I hope so, where should your priority be? Now, I'm not saying that playing sports is bad. I'm not saying that studying hard to get good grades is bad. What I'm saying is the things that we elevate to number one in our life 
are oftentimes a thing that in the, even in the scope of a few years don't matter. We have to have the perspective that's so focused that it's not really about whether we wear orange in our house or not. Those things don't really matter. In the scope of it, I'm excited that this year Georgia's going to win the national championship. It's been 41 years. It's time, right? I'm really excited about that. We're going to smoke the first game of the season because we're playing Clemson. It's going to be incredible. But the, man, at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't matter. It really doesn't. The, the things that should matter most in our life are the things that are going to matter 10, 20, 30 years from now for eternity. So I'm not saying pull your kids out of everything, keep them in a bubble in your house. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is let's prioritize what should matter in our life. Let's prioritize our walk with the Lord. We forget sometimes that we're actually stewards, that our children are, are really gods. He's given them to us for a period of time. Let, let's do what we can to help them grow. Let's do what we can to point them to the Lord. I want to influence my kids on what matters most in life. The legacy that I leave, I don't want it to be that my son got straight A's or that he's the best at fielding balls. I, I, I want the legacy that I leave to be my faith and passion for the Lord. The reality is we can't live the gospel if we don't know the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus loved us not, not while things were going great for us, not while you were at your best, not while you were uh, captain of the football team and getting straight A's. God, God loved us at our worst in our sin. While our hearts were wicked, Jesus died on the cross for us. And he helps us experience forgiveness and grace. And so the beauty of the gospel for us is, man, we are elements of expressing that to our own kids on a daily basis. To live as forgiven people. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I don't know if I truly have understood that gospel. I don't know if I truly have followed Jesus with my life. It's been simply transactional. It's been this idea of me trying to be good enough I would say don't let another moment go by. Let today be the day that you decide to follow Jesus with your life. Let today be the day that defines the rest of your days because you began that journey today. If you're like me and you're like, hey, Pat, I feel like you. I'm one of the four out of five that just feels like I don't always have this together and maybe I got some things figured out, but I got a long way to go. My prayer is that today you would take God's word and you would say, I am going to leave this place being intentional and focused and consistent. That in my house, maybe I'm not going to have everything together perfect because I'm still figuring it out. I always felt like my parents had things figured out. I remember my dad got pulled over when I was a kid and talked his way out of a ticket. And I was like, this guy's a genius, you know? And at the end of the day, now as a dad, I'm like, he was terrified. You know, like he was trying to figure life out. And he still is trying to figure life out at 70 years old. At some point, we've got to be willing to say, we're never going to have things always figured out. It's not going to happen, but we're going to do the best that we can to raise our kids how God has called us to. And if you don't have kids or your kids are out of the house, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to partner with parents. I'm going to help others raise the next generation because I want to see it in my time. I want to see the, the whole upstate impacted for his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I pray for the person here this morning that doesn't know you. I pray that today would be the day that their life has changed forever as they decide to follow you. I pray that you give them courage to grab a leader, uh, to come to the front, grab myself, someone that they, they know or love that they're sitting next to, and let today be that moment. Father, for all of us, can we have a passion so much to see the next generation 
impacted and changed that we'd be willing to stand in the gap for them even when it uh, is uncomfortable, even when it's painful, that God, you would give us the courage to do so. I thank you for our church. I thank you for how you're moving in our midst. And God, I pray that you continue to move even this morning in our hearts. Cause us to not leave this place the same as when we came in. I love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.